Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Thursday, March the 1st, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Your second daily dose of happy for the day. And we're off to a flying start here in March. March is uh, already threatening to come in like a lion, as it's supposed to do. We got a a major storm watch coming through. So uh, starting tomorrow, we're expecting some combination of, of wind, rain, and snow. And, and I don't care because I'm having a good time. I'm doing good stuff here. So I'm not even paying attention to that. I just looked at it just long enough so I could announce it on the show. But that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I was thinking about how sometimes we talk about weather at the beginning of the show and how if somebody's listening to this months and months down the road, like, are they going to think... Why are you telling us about the weather? Because it's not pertinent. We didn't listen live. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just a curiosity floating through my head. <laughs> well, some people wonder why I even say the date when I when we start the show. But I do it for one very simple reason. I want people to know when this was recorded so that they can tell that. You know, so you, when you get the date, you also get the weather. That's like part of you know part of the package. So, <laughs> well, I do I do like the date thing because, as a matter of fact. It helps me know what the date no, is because okay. I kind of lose track. Because <laughs> I was telling you just a few moments ago how I was looking at something in my, my payment ledger that I keep personally. And I went, where are we in the month? And I went, oh, my God, I got paid yesterday. Hey. I totally forgot. So, yeah, <laughs> I like it when you tell me the date. It reminds me. There we go. Oh, see, now this, there it is. There's a perfectly good explanation for it. And it has absolutely nothing to do with feeling good, although it does feel good because you found out you got paid. Yeah, I got paid. <laughs> so I guess I don't have to ask you if you have any wins. You got paid. You got a win. You got a big win there. That's a good one. I do. Well, I have my normal daily update, but I'll let you go first if you want to share your wins. Oh, okay. Well, let's see. Today's kind of an unusual win, like I was telling you before the call. Um, Louise and I interviewed a couple of candidates for sales reps for her gardening business that she has that's been growing at uh, quite a prodigious rate over the last few years to the point now where we're really trying to add staff, including sales reps, to, to beef it up anymore and, and to take the hats off of Louise's hat, off of Louise's head and off of my head because there are too many hats to wear. But uh, we talked with two candidates today. And they were fabulous. They were just fantastic candidates. I mean, the very first two candidates we've talked to them is like, whoa, yeah, we want them both. I mean, they're that good. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when you live in the world of law of attraction, you don't have to have 10, 15, 20 people that you go through. You can match with the right people right up front and go, boom, done. You know, I think and it's I happening that, that way. So. Yeah. It, it, it's certainly playing out that way. We do have one more interview tomorrow, but this guy's going to have to walk on water in order to keep up with these other two. So, <laughs> so tomorrow, well, I'll, who knows? Maybe he'll be the one that lets you recognize how good the other two are, or how wow, I was setting my sights a little too low. There's even better. It, it's possible I could come back tomorrow afternoon for the Friday podcast and say, "Well, Wendy, you're not going to believe this, but the candidate today actually walked on water. It was amazing." Wow, <laughs> that would be cool. Well, if you get a lot of precipitation, he might have. That's to walk right. On water. Yes. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So yeah, it's been good. It's been very good. Plus, of course, I'm still, I'm going to keep celebrating it for a while. I'm loving the fact this new computer is making the sound beautiful. I mean, even Joel, who never says anything, says, wow, it sounds so good this morning. So yeah, it's, it's oh, been yay. good. It's been really, really good. So what's cool. going on with uh, Project X? Okay, Project X. Um, so I had anticipated 
um, doing my, my, what we talked about yesterday where I was going to sit and be still and look toward the future. And you know what? I, I had so many things going on last night. I didn't really get to that point until I was in bed and I went, well, I could do it now. And it just didn't feel good. So I went, all right, well, then not now. Because, you know, one of the things I, I use as a practice is if something I want to do doesn't feel good to me or I feel like it'll, it'd be too much effort to do it, then it tells me that the timing's not there. I'm not in the right space for it. So I'm totally cool with letting it go. Um, so that was kind of last night. Then I was kind of thinking on some more things last night that were on a different level. And I went, what is it I'm really feeling? And I went, there's a lack of something. And I went, well, what is it there's a lack of? And it kind of feels uh, a, a, a little vulnerable, risky to say this out loud. But, you know, who's going to hurt me if I say this? I don't know. But I feel like I don't sense a personal relationship quality with my inner being and with source energy and with the law of attraction. And that's the piece that causes me to feel a little bit more doubtful about something that I'm working on because it's not like, you know how I've talked a lot about how I love to be a doer. And if I'm buying a house and I'm looking at houses, I'm talking to sellers, I'm talking to realtors, I'm talking to mortgage brokers, and, you know, I'm calling people, you know, hey, is your house available? But it's like I am I have a personal connection with the people that I'm doing business with, so to speak, or the people that are helping me um, get a house. Right, yeah. But, you know, when I think about the manifestation of Project X, I don't feel, and I mean the word feel, the connection with the non-physical um, entity that is helping to bring this about in my life. I have and to admit, I'm stunned was, to hear that. <laughs> I really am. I'm surprised. <laughs> I said I'm stunned to hear that. I'm surprised. Really? Yeah, well, because, I, think, you know, I mean, you're so connected. You, you, you have demonstrated so many different ways that you're able to connect with your inner being, get messages, have conversations practically. I'm in awe of that. And here's you saying you don't feel connected. I'm saying, what? <laughs> How can well, that be? <laughs> And I, I think I can explain that. It's like I'm really good at data. Um, I'm a process person, so I'm really good at processing things. I mean, whether it's data on spreadsheets and analyzing things or, you know, whatever. It's like I'm really good handling data and information. And so when I connect or being where, where I'm having a conversation, it's kind of like I get the data inside my head or inside my body or in a way that I can interpret it, you know, whether I'm feeling it or seeing it, smelling it, whatever. But it's like that's data to me. It's sense data. And so I'm able to tell you what I'm interpreting that's coming through as data. If I ask a question, I get a yes, then the data was yes. If I ask a question of my inner being and the answer was no, whether it comes in my head or whether it's a feeling, it's still a sensation of no. But what I'm talking about is kind of like I have a relationship with you, Walt, that it's like I care about you, you care about me, we're friends. If you say things to me, I, I don't expect that you're going to hurt my feelings and, you know, I want to be kind to you so that I don't hurt your feelings. But it's like there's that natural personality relationship that we all understand because we're all human beings and we relate to people on a constant basis. 
But in this case, non-physical, even though I know there's a ton of them, (laughs) non-physical, I can't see, taste, touch, I don't hear their voice in the same way. And I know that probably does still sound a little wacky. That's why I was why I started out saying this feels a little vulnerable to say because I kind of know how wacky it sounds. <laughs> um, but this is not like the first time I've had this awareness. I've had this awareness for a very long time that what I really wish is that I felt a deeper like personality connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. The non-physical um, entities that I am communicating with and playing with. Sure. Um, and I guess what I like about my question and like, I even like about how it feels uncomfortable is because I know that if I'm feeling a little uncomfortable here, it's because I'm, I have a new ask or I should Uh say a renewed ask and it's a bigger ask. And my ask continues to be, Hey, non-physical world. I really want to know you in a deeper, more satisfying way where it feels as real to me as when I talk to my girlfriends or when I talk to you. I want that kind of feeling to be a part of my relationship. Because I think as I was kind of uh, just diving in a little deeper to the feeling I had yesterday of doubt, well, what on earth is behind this doubt? Because I have so much evidence to the contrary. And this is where I landed. It's, you know, I don't have a physical person saying to me, hey, Wendy, we're backing you. You, you know, don't worry, Project X is on its way. However, here's what's kind of interesting, having just said that. Um, about an hour before the show, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, Keisha, and we were just kind of randomly talking about stuff that we talk about. And I was talking about Project X, and actually, I take it back. I was talking about Project X, but at the time, she was talking about something completely unrelated. But what she was talking about was resonating with me in reference to Project X. Hmm. And as she was talking, again, honestly, right now, I have no idea what she was saying because I was so (laughs) kind of like aware that I was kind of getting insight because I was like, whoa, the the hair on my arms is standing up. My shoulders are vibrating. It's like I felt, I mean, a physical sensation feeling uh, like um, kind of, not a buzzing because that's a, a sound word. I just felt a resonance. It's kind of like, you know, when you, you, you have, you know, goosebumps. It was that kind of feeling, but it wasn't just my arms. It was kind of like my whole upper body. And what I heard in my head, because she was talking about like all entities, You know, what I heard in my head is, we're all there for you. We're all backing you. And I went, oh, like, I wish I could remember exactly what she was saying, because it fit perfectly with that. But it was kind of the understanding of, if we could only have a greater awareness of how much we are supported by entities we cannot see, it would blow our minds. And I really, I was getting, I mean, I heard it in my my head. We are so there backing you. We're so here for you. And I went, I think that's really kind of like answering the question that I'm asking in in the state of doubtfulness, which is, are you really there? Really? Really? Mm -hmm. Are you backing me? Are you really supporting me? And I got it. I mean, I got an answer. 
And I don't want to minimize it by going, but it wasn't enough. But a little part of me is like, I need more. I still need more. And that's just who I am. You know, that doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just that that's where I am right now. I want more evidence. I want more something letting me know that I'm not making this up. Oh, well, this is very real. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. In fact, I'm with you on on the better uh, relationship thing. Because for the longest time, I've wanted to just have regular conversations with beings in the inner being part. You know, just, I mean, kind of similar to what Esther Hicks does, although even she doesn't have regular conversations. What she's doing is getting these these blocks of thought and translating them into English. But, I mean, literally, my wish is, I, I, I wish that, that the other side could actually put out words in English and and hear my words in English so that, you know, I could actually communicate in a way that's that's really feeling like I'm talking with somebody. Uh, that, that's actually one of the things I like about the uh, the whole thing about what Abraham puts out, because even though the words are a little bit stilted, and I can kind of interpret in my mind, you know, well, these are non-physical entities. They aren't experiencing the physical world minute by minute like we are. So, of course, you know, the, the context isn't going to quite seem right. But that makes sense. It makes sense to me that it's going to be like that. So I, I can live with the fact that, that sometimes the English is a little bit stilted, a little bit awkward. Um, but more than that, I really get a very full sense of just how much intelligence and knowledge and understanding there is through the way that they, they express things or the way that Esther express what they're, they're, they're transmitting to her. So that becomes very real for me. But I'd love to have that, that more direct experience. So when you talk about wanting to have the feeling experience, I get that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Well, and you know, you brought up a great point. People who go to an Abraham workshop, and I've been to many, um, you know, someone who goes up into the hot seat, they literally are having a dialogue with non-physical beings. Mm. And, I mean, it's the kind of dialogue that I think you're talking about. You want English, you want the words, you know, you want to ask a question and you want the words to be able to flow. Um, and I, I do that sometimes where I have, you know, that kind of a conversational flow. But here's, the, here's kind of like the little catch, if you will. Because I'm both the asker and the receiver of yeah. the answer, yeah. it is possible, depending on where I am in that mood or whatever, for me to go, am I just making this all up? Yeah, sure. What's going on? Am I making this up? But where, when somebody's in an Abraham workshop and the person's sitting in the hot seat, they ask the question, they are not the ones receiving the answer through spirit. It's like there's another physical being that's actually speaking the words on their behalf. Right. And, you know, I guess I'm not saying I, I want an Abraham or I want an Esther to follow me around 24-7 <laughs> for that experience. I know that's something possible I can do for myself, because there are many times Abraham has expressed how Esther will have some kind of an experience, and she'll want to ask Abraham for some insight. And she's able to, like, have the dialogue back and forth between Esther, Abraham, Esther, Abraham, and it's all coming through Esther. And I've done that on occasion, but I don't do it to the same level that she does. And I would imagine that because this has been the work she's been doing for 30-plus years now, she obviously has developed through practice a level of certainty, a level of, Abraham doesn't have to prove themselves to her anymore. 
she doesn't have to prove herself anymore. Like, am I really hearing from Abraham? It's like after 30 years, you would think she's got that down. Oh, yeah. But for me and for others, we're kind of in a slightly different situation. Although I've heard Abraham, I've heard, you know, biblical scholars, I've heard many people of other religious faiths say, you know, we can all receive spiritual messages. So, I, I mean, I don't question that. Um, but I think I'm, I'm at a point that I have a huge desire to have the ability to dialogue with non-physical in a much more personal way. Mm, sure. That's what I want. That's my asking. And so I don't have to ask it anymore because once it's been asked, it's been given. So now it's time for me to, oh, I've got goosebumps as I say this, so this is a good thing. Um, it's time for me to be open to receiving that experience. Because I'm not asking for an answer. I'm asking to have an experience, an ongoing experience, where non-physical be- becomes so enraptured, so in- in, uh, integrated in my sensations that when I receive um, dialogue with them or when I'm in dialogue with them, that it feels as real to me as when I'm talking to my friend Keisha. That's what I want, and that's what's on its way. Because if I can want it, it's coming. Cool. That's the only word I can think of. Cool. cool. <laughs> That's just cool. <laughs> you know, Walt, I think I've said this before, but I never know what I'm going to say for my update of Project X. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that delights me every time is I just take the moment to get very present with who I am, where I am, what I'm experiencing, and what I want. And I love that <laughs> because it's like it's alive to me. That is that is very like what I just shared. Mm-hmm. I that I have greater clarity on what I desire because of having expressed it here on the show than I did before you and I started talking. Well, that's very cool. I mean, I keep using the same word because it's the only one that I can think of that really works I for me. But cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> it's becoming more cool by the second. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> So we are still working through uh, the law of attraction, the basics of the teachings of Abraham, and we're up to a subsection that I love the title of because (laughs) it's actually a bad title. I mean, when you when you have a title, you want the title to inspire some curiosity or interest, and this doesn't really do it. But it's just quirky, and I love it. I wanted blue and yellow, but got green. What the bleep? That totally wraps me up into curiosity. I'm totally curious. What are you talking about, blue, yellow, and green? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So I guess it's a fairly effective title. For me, it's, it's more like, what the bleep? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's read it. It's short. It's only three paragraphs long. It says, when you are clear about everything that you want, you'll get all of the results that you want. But often you are not completely clear. For You say, for example, I want the color yellow. And I want the color blue. I can't remember the last time I said that, but okay. (laughs) But what you end up with is green. And then you say, well, how did I get green? I did not intend that at all. But it came forth as a blending of other intentions, you see. Of course, blending the color yellow with the color blue creates the color green. And so in a similar manner, at an unconscious level, there is a blending of intentions that is continually occurring within you. But it is so complex that your conscious thinking mechanism cannot sort it all out. 
but your inner being can sort it out and can offer you guiding emotions. All that is required is that you pay attention to the way you feel and that you let yourself be drawn to those things that feel good or right to you while you let yourself be moved away from those things that do not. In italics, when you have practiced clarifying your intentions a bit, you will find yourself in the very early stages of interacting with others, knowing whether what they are offering is of value or not. You will know whether you want to invite them into your experience or not. Now, th this whole thing about um, uh, mixing intentions, I've thought a lot about that one. And I, I am glad that there is a way to easily sort them out through emotions. When I first heard that, I said, okay, good. Now I have a way to make sense out of it. But there's still a piece of my mind, a curious side, right, that says, what does that matrix look like? Because that's got to be what it is. When you consider all the different thoughts, not to mention feelings and, and acts and words and so forth that all have thought attached to them, that we engage in on a daily basis, and then you consider how many of us there are, and you consider how many of us there were be before that, and all these are creating like this, this spider web, so to speak, of all this stuff that's kind of all mixing together. All those intentions, wow, how do you, how do you sort them out? It's like trying to untangle a, a gigantic ball of twisted up string. You can't, there's, no, there's no way to do it. You can't even begin to do it. But that's got to be what it's like. Well, you know, as you were reading the first part of it, which had to do with mixed intentions, because yellow and blue do make green, something about that just kind of lit up inside of me. Like I felt something in the upper part of my, my stomach, like, ooh, that's an interesting idea. Oh. Like I want to start watching and paying attention to just the things in my life, um, almost like with, with this new filter, if you will, where whatever I see actually manifesting, kind of look at it for the fun and go, okay, so is this a mixture of yellow and blue equaling green, or is this the purely yellow? Just so I could start to kind of play with, deliberate, from, it, from a deliberate perspective, how the things I've been thinking about are actually manifesting. Because it'll let me know if I'm really focused highly on what I want, or do I have mixed intentions? Am I getting a mixture of a little bit of this and a little bit of that? Wow. I mean, here I am wishing that I had more ability to have any communication at all with my inner being, and you're, you're ironing out the finer points. I'm saying, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I, I don't think of it like that. But, um, well, like, uh, here's the example that comes to mind. So if one day I'm, you know, at work and I'm talking with one coworker and I get off the phone, I go, oh my gosh, that was such a satisfying, exciting conversation. I felt fully engaged. I felt like our dialogue was just really meaty and juicy. And then maybe an hour or two later, I talk to another coworker and this one feels kind of challenging, like I'm like in a contrary way, like they're challenging me and like they're just kind of a little disagreeable, but it does cause me to, you know, kind of like have to really think through what they're talking about and use some different skills for how I communicate with them, you know, to try to stay in a good path of agreement. And then if we get off the phone, you know, I can look at those two different conversations and kind of go, well, you know, I do say to the universe a lot, I really do love to investigate things because I do. I love to investigate stuff. Well, mm -hmm. 
usually what precipitates the need for me to investigate is that there's a problem and maybe somebody disagrees with me, so I'm going to go investigate and figure out what the truth is. But in the first phone call, it was just meaty and juicy and like a, a heart-to-heart kind of thing. And I, I guess I could look at that, even though I made up this scenario, as, well, I do ask the universe, or I do talk about both of these things a lot, so I could kind of see why the universe delivers different kinds of things to me. And maybe it's not always like the investigation kind of thing, because not only do I love to investigate, I also love heart-to-heart meaningful conversation. So I could see how, in this case, it's maybe not yellow and blue equals green, but that I have a variety, because, you know, I had the 64 box of Crayola crayons growing up. (laughs) I didn't like just the (laughs) eight-pack. I like a lot of variety. (laughs) So I don't yeah. know. I don't know if that means anything, but I'm just I feel like I'm going to start paying closer attention to what does show up in my life just to see if I can play around with what was I thinking that would have caused that uh, result. But then another time I got a different result. That's what well, cer- the reading. Cer- certainly the fact that you were talking a few minutes ago about how you want to communicate more directly and in a more human way with your inner being, this seems to be in some way addressing that. It seems to be suggesting that you can do that, or at least you can do, you you can get the, you can get a a result to the request that you made and that the result is going to uh, basically, well, it's going to, they're talking about in terms of it uh, coming to you in terms of them guiding your emotions, your inner being guiding your emotions. But uh, you're a little bit further ahead of us than uh, than many of us on this, so I, th- I think we can probably expand that to say they're going to give you a number of different ways to understand how to get at the thing that you're trying to get at, which is a better communication with them. It probably means it's going to come pretty quickly, too. But then again, I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who's trying to figure out, okay, well, I know what my emotions are, <laughs> but beyond that, I don't have a whole lot going on. <laughs> I, somehow, I, I sense we're more on the same page than maybe what you're seeing. It's kind of like you know, how do you how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like you know, maybe you're at, at the part where you're near the ears, <laughs> and I may be at like a hind leg. And so, an elephant's so big, we might not even see each other, but we're still talking about the same animal. It's just we're talking different aspects of it. Okay, I think we need to change the subject because the idea of eating an elephant's ear is just not appealing to me at all. <laughs> I gave you the ear because you're all about sound and audio, so that's why oh, I gave it. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, if I don't have to eat it, I guess that's all right. <laughs> okay, you're petting the ear. Oh, okay. Well, okay? I can do that. And I can I'm do hugging that. the hind leg. How's oh, that? All right. Well, that's nice. That's sweet. That's okay. I can do that. <laughs> oh, you're so fun, Well. Uh. <laughs> Now, unfortunately, this next section is not so fun because it it deals with a really challenging subject, but it's an important one. And it's important because so often when we talk about things like the law of attraction, like deliberate creation, like allowing and so forth, we're doing that in terms of what we want. We don't actually actively think about the fact that whatever we give our attention to, we tend to attract more of. And, and we do that just as well with negative stuff as we do with positive stuff. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, looking at the negative side can be rather uncomfortable because it does lead us to some conclusions that kind of fly in the face of what popular culture believes is is actually the case. And that's because, unnerving. Because the sub the subject here or of this little subheading says how does the victim attract the robber? Yeah, that sounds horrible. I mean, how could anyone possibly think that, right? I mean, it's not even a question does the victim attract the robber? The yeah, it's assumed. How does the victim attract the robber? So the victim's just been convicted. Presupp- <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a presupposition that yeah. if somebody is robbing you, you've actually attracted it somehow, some way. Right. So it would be a good thing to kind of understand that. Well, let's find out then. Um, Jerry says, okay. I can understand robbers being attracted to those they're robbing, but it's difficult to see innocent victims, as they're called, attracting the robbery or the person being discriminated against attracting the prejudice. And Abraham says, but they are just the same. The assaulted and the assaulter are co-creators of the event. That's a rough concept. That's a really rough concept. It is. So why don't we just keep reading and see if there's some... uh, Okay, so Jerry says... Something that will help help kind of ease our feathers. (laughs) I sure hope so, yeah. So Jerry says, so one of them is thinking about what they don't want and getting it, and the other is thinking about what they do want and getting the vibrational essence of that. In other words, they are what you call a vibrational match? And Abraham says, it makes no difference whether whether you want the specifics of it or not. It's the vibrational essence of the subject of your attention that is attracted. That which you really, really want, you get. And that which you really, really don't want, you get. The only way to avoid developing a powerful emotional thought about something is by not thinking the first not-so-powerful thought that is then ended, I'm sorry, Then that is added to by the law of attraction. So I'm going to stop there. I want to read this paragraph again says the only way to avoid developing a powerful emotional thought about something is not thinking the first not so powerful thought that is then added to by the law of attraction. So the thing that you know, Walt, the thing that's standing out to me here is where they say powerful emotional thought. Mm-hmm. Because I think there I think there's a presupposition that if you have just kind of like a random thought, you don't have so much emotional attachment to it, that is not powerful enough for the law of attraction to actually engage in matching it to you. But it's when you feel something really intensely or focus on something with great intensity, that's what they're really talking about. So on on one side, it's being really desiring something or on the other side, it could be really fearful of something. Yeah, this is true. The, the thing okay. that's still disturbing about it, though, of course, is it still feels like we're blaming the victim. Doesn't it? Okay. Um, yes and no. And the reason I say that is because I was having... Um, actually, this was another conversation I had with my friend Keisha. <laughs> we were talking about this subject today, and you know, does the victim actually attract the victimizer? And what we were saying about this is this is a really delicate, sensitive subject. 
because when you understand the whole picture from a non-physical perspective, as in like the way the part of us that is not physical understands it, that part of us, I, I have no doubt, no qualms understanding the attractive quality of victim and victimizer. But it's when I think through my human brain and my human heart, um, it feels so unsympathetic to blame a victim for attracting it. And maybe my sentence right there is the culprit. Because if you blame a victim, that's painful. Mm. Blame is actually really low on the emotional guidance scale. And in fact, isn't it also true that really we're talking about a universal law, law of attraction? Maybe the concept blame doesn't even belong in the equation. It's like saying that, you know, if, if I fall off a building, I have to blame the law of gravity for killing me. You don't, you don't blame the law of gravity. It's just a law. It's just a right. scientific law. It doesn't, it's, it's not like it's, it's an entity worthy of blame. Well, the law of attraction isn't an entity. It's not. But whether it's, you were pushed, pushed over the building or whether you jumped doesn't really matter because law of gravity is still going to be the law of gravity. That's right. Yeah. So blame doesn't really seem to, to fit there because at least where law of attraction is concerned, it's not, it's not a relevant thing. Now, the bigger piece to the question, of course, is if you have a perpetrator and you have a victim, isn't the perpetrator to blame? Why are we blaming the victim? And I think this is where we have to understand what perspective is. I, I don't know if this right. is the right way to go about attacking it, but it, it seems like the best way from my perspective. <laughs> from my perspective, there's the word. Um, perspective. Well, I mean, what Abraham has just said is that it's a co-creation. It's a co-creation. In other words, there are no victimless crimes because both the victim and the victimizer both participated in the act. It just, as human beings, we have a hard time, especially with those who are innocent, especially if some harm came to someone who was small or young or, you know, um, whatever, just something where we as humans tend to think um, we give a pass to somebody who's young. That's a natural thing. You know, we wouldn't blame somebody at five years old um, for playing with guns. We would blame the parents for leaving the guns around. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, it's kind of like that's just how our society thinks. That's how we think. But when we don't recognize, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here, so hang on. Um, when we don't recognize or validate that a five-year-old, even though they're five years old in chronological age, still has an inner being that is powerful beyond measure, um, that is actually governing, if you will, um, the wholeness of that five-year-old. So it's not like that five-year-old is just a five-year-old physical being. That five-year-old is also a gazillion million-year-old non-physical entity. <laughs> and so there are things that we don't see, that we don't think about, that I don't even think we're necessarily meant to think about as humans, because this is, you know, we have some specific things that we came to accomplish 
in this physical existence, but our non-physical part of us is governing the wholeness of all that's going on with who we are, even in this physical realm. And there's things that maybe that five-year-old doesn't know or doesn't see or doesn't remember. But let's say that five-year-old hurt themselves and ended up dying because they were playing with a gun that their parents had in the house. Now, granted, our law is going to hold the parents accountable. But if we had spiritual counsel, if we had a spiritual judge and jury, I have a feeling the spiritual judge and jury would say, there is no guilt, there is no blame. Perhaps that five-year-old came for purposes that the rest of us physical beings don't quite understand, that maybe over time will be understood, but maybe that five-year-old didn't intend to stay here long. He came, he did what he needed to do, and he's ready to go. Well, it's certainly possible. I have to say it's not something that really feels very good. In fact, it feels kind of rotten. So it, it makes it hard to, to accept something like that as a, a rationale for what, for what's going on here. Um, but I, I think almost anything we come up with is going to have that same kind of defect to it. So we're kind of up against it before we get started. The, the reason I would mention perspective is that I remember this from one of the uh, Abraham books, and I don't remember which one it's in, but it was a similar topic. And in that particular passage, I remember Abraham saying, you know, when, when we come into this world, we are certainly very well connected uh, to the other side, to the non-physical side. Um, but we are also relatively new in learning about this new environment we're in. And we are very much influenced by the big people. And in fact, the older we get, the more influenced we become by them, because certainly on one level, we feel that our physical survival is dependent upon them. So, of course, we have, you know, we, we give deference to their judgment, deference to them. They, they've been here longer. They must know, right? They must understand how the, all this stuff works. So they must have the answers. Well, add in a scenario where you have an adult who attacks a little child. Well, the adult is one of those people who has all the answers. The adult just attacked, attacked the child, all right? Well, according to the, the, this rather difficult theory to understand, in some way the child attracted that. Well, how did they do that? Well, one of the ways I can conceive of where that could be happening is if the attack comes in an environment that has all along felt unsafe. In fact, the adults in that environment didn't feel safe. So, for instance, let's say the child's mother is they're living in a in a bad section of town or something and she's constantly afraid and she's afraid for herself she's afraid for her baby she's afraid for her home and that fear has got to be passed along to the child so mm -hmm. it, under those circumstances it's not terribly surprising that the child would therefore also be emanating vibrations of fear which means okay now i can at least begin to see how attracting something bad could happen, even though the child had no intention of doing it deliberately, just because of right. the environment the child was in, okay, now I can begin to see how you could attract it. And indeed, we can actually look at, at a, a really extreme scenario, like a war zone, right? In a war zone, the people who are not the combatants, the people who are just kind of stuck because they live there, who are in a war zone, they're living in, a, in an entirely encased realm of fear, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It shouldn't be any surprise to us that a lot of them get killed or maimed or severely wounded or, or psychologically wounded or you know, a host of other things 
because that's the environment that they're in. So, of course, they're going to continue to have all this this negative thinking that's going to bring more negative stuff to them. That's That I can certainly reconcile with law of attraction. I don't like it. I, I right. dislike it intensely, but at least I can make some sense out of it that way. And but, is know, it a satisfying that, answer? That it's not really, satisfying, but it, it, it's at least closer, you know? And I think it's a really excellent example. It's an extreme example, but I think it's an easier, because it's so extreme, I think it makes it a little bit easier to digest the premise of how small ones that we call innocent could actually be vibrating energetically to undesirable outcomes because they're in an environment where they're inundated with that kind of thinking and feeling and vibration. And yes. so if, you know, something horrendous happens and a whole village gets, you know, wiped out in some way, we don't think of the children as, they did it to themselves because we look at it like they're in a war zone. But when you break it apart, it's like, well, how did that particular child end up in that war zone for this horrible thing to happen to them? Yeah, yeah, that part's left out of the story. Yeah, but it's like when you look at it, it's like, well, if they're inundated 24-7 with thoughts and feelings and vibrations of fear of death, I think in a way, even though, yes, it's very unpleasant to talk about or even consider, but it's easier to recognize how they're attracting death. Not because they're saying, hey, death, come over here, but because they're vibrating with the focus of death so consistently, it kind of becomes inevitable that that happens. I'm not sure it's actually inevitable, but it certainly is a very high likelihood. That's that's okay. very true. Yeah. Um, the other thought, too, that occurs to me is that we all uh, one of the things we talk about a lot on the show, not the kind of extreme stuff, but we all wrestle with negative thoughts. And we I think most of the listeners of the show have come to realize I need to get my own negative thoughts sequestered, put away, replaced by positive thoughts. Well, notice how easily those negative thoughts come to us. So they come to us really, really easily. So it's not too difficult to understand that if I got all that negative thinking going on, it's no wonder I've been getting negative results in my life. As long as that's the case, as long as it's true that whenever I focus on bad stuff, bad stuff's going to come along, well, there, there are two things here. First is we have a tendency as human beings to blame ourselves for that, right? I blame myself because I didn't keep my thoughts under control. Not realizing, not realizing that in the act of blaming ourselves, we are undermining ourselves, and simultaneously, we are setting ourselves up for more opportunities to get hurt, because blame is is in a very low vibration, like you said. So it, actually, I think what we see here is blaming anybody under any circumstance from an from a vibrational point of view, from from an LOA perspective, is counterproductive. So we really need to change the headline. The headline of this particular section said, how does the victim attract the robber, which implies blame in our minds. It doesn't actually say it in the headline, but in our minds it does. So we almost need to change it to say, how does the victim attract the robber even though they're not for, to blame for it? And now it starts to make more sense to it. Or even, they're, even though they're not doing it deliberately. Or they're not doing it deliberately, yeah. 
so I'm thinking I want to keep reading this because I, I what I was sensing while you were talking is that okay if we want to even consider that there are no victimless crimes or atrocities but that everything happens in this universe based on attraction of both parties it would be really advantageous for us to get a better understanding of how we understand that how we can make sense of it so the next part um abraham goes on to kind of give some examples okay. to kind of help us wrap our mind around it all right they say let's say you read in the paper that someone has been robbed unless you read a detailed account that brings forth great emotion within you Reading the account or hearing about it will not necessarily put you in the attracting mode. But if you read about it or see it on television or discuss it with another, until you begin to feel an emotional response about it, then you begin to draw similar experiences closer to you. As you hear the statistics of what percentage of your population will be robbed this year, you must understand that the numbers are so high and getting higher because so many people are being stimulated by the thought. Those warnings do not protect you from robberies, but instead make them more likely. Whoa. They do such, such a good job of making you aware of the, the prevalence of robberies, bringing that awareness to your attention again and again, that you will not only think of it with emotion, but you'll expect it. It's no wonder that you get so many of the things that you do not want. You give so much of your attention to the things that you do not want. Now, we would recommend that if you hear of an assault, you say, that is their experience. I do not choose that. And then release the thought of what you do not want and think of what you do want, because you get what you think about whether you want it or not. You came into this environment with so many others because you wanted the wonderful experience of co-creating. You can attract from your population those people with whom you would like to, to positively create, and you can attract from the people in your life experiences you would, like to, you would like to create. It is not necessary or possible to hide from or avoid unwanted people or experiences but it is possible to attract only the people and experiences that please you. So they're at least giving us some hope there, and that's good. We need the hope. Um, well, you know, I agree. We need the hope. And I have an example that kind of goes with this chapter, something that really did ex I did experience. Um, there was one point in my life I was living in some apartments, and they weren't in a great part of town, but they really weren't in a bad part of town either. It was kind of like in between. <laughs> mm. And, but yet I do know that the apartment complex before I moved in was considered Section 8 housing. They had just gone under um, new management, and new management was kind of desperate to fill the occupancy. And so that's why I lived there, because I came in at a really good rental price, because they were kind of desperate to get new people in. However, and I'm not saying all Section 8 people are bad, nor do I think Section 8 people are bad, but that is part of the lower socioeconomical you know, part of our population. So anyway, um, I remember hearing um, the news. These were the days I used to watch the news. And the news was talking about um, that there was some kind of, there was a serial rapist. And I think like four or five rapes had already taken place in a two-week period of time. And as it was all within a two-block radius of where I lived. Ooh. And they were specifically saying 
if you live in this area, be absolute certain that you lock your doors, that you're very conscious when you get out in the parking lot, that you're not being followed. And, and they were just giving all these really good tips on how to be safe. Right. And I remember my mother calling me and being very concerned and say, hey, did you see the news? This is what's going on. It's right by where you live. And I said, I did, Mom, and thanks for letting me know. But I got off the phone with her, and I remember specifically thinking, am I afraid? I mean, that, that might sound like an odd question, but I really asked myself, you know, are you afraid of this? And I went, no. And I'm like, why am I not afraid of this? Now, I didn't know the law of attraction back then. Um, I was a Christian at that time. I did believe in the protection of God. But I will tell you, whether it was a religious belief or not, my primary thoughts were that I was safe. Now, I wasn't thinking in terms of I'm safe from harm. I didn't even think about harm. I just had such a feeling of safety and well-being in my life. I kind of, I just kind of felt like I walked and drove and hung out in life in a, in a state of ultimate protection. I'm cared for. I'm looked after all as well. Now, did I do those safety measures? Of course I did. You know, I did a lot of things that were at night. And so I was driving my car at night and going in and out of places, you know, and I did all the safety precautions I knew to do, but I didn't have this overwhelming, alarming fear. And that's really the point of what I'm wanting to share. I did not feel fear. I really felt like I was in a safety bubble and safety bubble kind of really is a good word for what, what it felt like. Cause I felt like I was like, there was some energetic shield all around me that kept me safe. Now that's something I was very aware of that. That's how I felt. And that's how I moved through life. And my job always had me out cause I was a costume designer. So it was an entertainment world and theater and almost everything I did was in the evening. And so I was aware for a long time of how it's typically considered more unsafe for a woman to be out at night. So I had already kind of gone through the motions of how to, how can I allow myself to feel safe so that I'm not subjected to harm's way. And I did, I would say I did the emotional work to feel safe. And so, I mean, one of the rapes happened even after I heard it on the news and it was like, in my building, Oof. just a couple of a couple of buildings, or in my apartment complex, just a couple of buildings away, and even that still. And I'm not so stupid, Walt, to to just go. Nothing will happen to me. But even when that happened, it did not shake my bedrock of feeling safe. It just didn't. And so I'm not going. Oh, yay for me because I didn't get raped, and oh, woe for those women who did. But I recognize that as that is how I felt. That is the beliefs that I was focusing on is that I am wrapped in a protection bubble, period. And that's how that's kind of how I stayed focused. Now, I also know because during this time, everywhere I went, especially at my job, people were up in arms. They were this was a constant conversation. So I really understand it when Abraham says that the media actually plays into making these things become more increased because people around me were going crazy. I mean, they were constantly talking about fear. There was so much fear. Every, I mean, I could go to the grocery store and people were talking about, oh, did you hear about so-and-so, you know, they were at such and such corner and that that was the apartment complex where that last rape took place. And 
people were talking about it for the longest time. And I remember having to isolate myself and not let that in and just distracting. And I didn't know law of attraction, but I did have the common sense to say, I don't want to think that way because that way will just so unearth me. And I didn't go there. But it was interesting how the news had talked about how a rapist had gotten into someone's apartment and they had to break through all sorts of barriers where the person had had like, you know, the thing on their patio that locks the door and all sorts of things. And apparently this rapist like got through even all these safety precautions. And yet they commented that next door, the person's patio door was wide open, but the rapist did not go into that apartment where there was a single female, but they did go into the apartment that had all these safety precautions. And yet this rapist was able to get through them anyway. And do you attribute that to the mindset of the person who was attacked? Yes. I'm not blaming them, but I am, I did, back then I did consider, even though I didn't know law of attraction, I did consider what their mindset was. And I remember them interviewing one of the ladies who had been raped and she was on camera saying that because of all the media attention, she was scared out of her mind. Mm. Well, that part makes a lot of sense because certainly we all know that any time that we watch news or listen to news or read news or whatever, and the news is like 99% negative, we know that too, any time we do it, we don't feel better afterward. I mean, many of us will justify to ourselves that we feel like, well, I've, I've kept up with things, but we can't honestly say we feel better. We always feel worse. So clearly that aspect of it is, is beyond dispute. The fact that news contributes to the increase in whatever the detrimental activity is. And that's why I don't pay attention to news. I mean, I, the most I allow myself is to peruse a few headlines mostly related to the Trump administration just to give myself a laugh. But any, if I even begin to see anything that is that I feel is truly negative, I just close that window as fast as possible. Because I know what it does to my subconscious mind and to my conscious mind. And, and I want to get that out of my, my frame of reference. But most people live by default. Most people don't even know anything about applying deliberate creation in their lives. They, they have no idea how to do it. It's certainly not something that gets a lot of attention in the media. The media is not going to be telling us about it. And if they do tell us about it, they'll tell us it's some sort of a quack-quack job, right? So we're not going to get any kind of information that way. So most people don't know. They're living what we call by default. They're doing things by default. And by default means whenever the media tells you something bad, you absorb it. End of discussion. Well, that can only lead to bad stuff if you do it well, often enough or, and if you focus on it often enough. Now, if on the other hand, you either block it so you aren't paying attention to it or, like you did, if you hear it but refuse to let it in, you just – I'm not going to pay attention to it. I'm not going to focus on that. If you do that, then you give yourself a, a chance to, to emerge unscathed. And I had enough of life experience at that point. I was probably in my early 30s. I had had enough experience with fear that – I recognized, I mean, huge awareness recognized that I, fear did not feel good, and I did not want to be fearful. And so I taught myself specific things to not feel fear. And, and really, it, it's kind of ironic that I was attracted to the law of attraction, and I was attracted to Abraham, and yet it's not ironic. It's part of the attraction thing, because I was thinking almost identical thoughts to what I've heard come out of Esther's mouth. I have thought these, and that is why I know that I'm, I've been so um, 
such a uh, that that the message that Abraham shares so deeply resonates with me because most of the time what they're saying it's not like the first time I've heard this or thought this it's like no they've confirmed what I've already been thinking and like the story I'm telling you about when I was in my early 30s and about the rapes that were taking place in close to my neighborhood I was already thinking the thoughts that we just read in today's book the law of attraction these are the thoughts even though I didn't know what it all meant I didn't understand the attraction properties but I did understand mindset. I did understand that what people focus on, they tend to get. And I mean, I knew from the people I hung around with, people who lived in a state of fear seemed to have all sorts of gruesome things happen to them on a regular basis. And That's people true. who tended to be happy and not concerned about the worries and the cares of things that other people were thinking about tend to, to have gone unscathed. And I was noticing that. Now, I'm not trying to say pat me on the back, but I'm just saying long before I ever heard the messages of Abraham, I was just noticing what was happening in my world around me and who things happened to and what was the quality. And I could only go back to one thing. The quality of somebody's mindset seemed to be resulting in the quality of what showed up in their world, what experiences showed up. And so, like I said, the message of Abraham simply resonated as a confirming voice to what I had already been not only suspecting, but pretty much concluding to be the case. Well, it's certainly a, a difficult topic to take on, particularly if you've only been um, studying Law of Attraction for a short period of time. And even if you've studied it for a while, it can still be kind of challenging to read it. Um, I know I've gotten to the point where um, I was kind of playing devil's advocate there. I actually understand and, and appreciate what they're saying. And I, I tend to agree with them. But it's a tough place to be to, and it's a pl tough place to get to. So uh, I urge those who find it troubling. I understand why you find it troubling. I think we both do. But give yourself time. Yeah, give yourself yeah. time to, to kind of meditate on it and, and try to do it at times when you're at your emotional soft and gentle points rather than your keyed up points. Because it, it becomes easier to digest it. Because it is. It's, it's a very, and, very tough subject. Well, and, and pay attention to things that are less crucial or extreme to understand how law of attraction really works. And the deeper you understand the correlation between what you think and what you get in your life, when you've got that down and you feel really solid with that, then you can kind of consider some of these tougher uh, dilemmas or tougher situations, and then it'll come to you possibly with more understanding. But if your introduction to law of attraction is create vision boards and think positive things and you'll get positive results, you may not be ready for this level of conversation or understanding. So put it on the mental shelf. Yeah, Don't I... toss out all law of attraction just because this thing doesn't make sense to you. Because it doesn't have to make sense to you today. It's totally fine. And we're actually over time, so we'll have to draw it to a close, but uh, hopefully we'll be addressing more positive subjects in the future. I know we will be, and I uh, look forward to doing it with you, Wendy. I will be here. And I will as well. We'll see you all next time as well here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.